Psalms 119.105, and it reads, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank you, Ben, for reading our scripture. We're going to be talking tonight about the ABCs of leadership. Before I do that, I want to mention very quickly a gospel meeting that's going to be taking place at the Luxahoma Church beginning next Sunday. And John DeBerry will be doing the preaching. And John does an outstanding job preaching and teaching. And so if you have the opportunity to be with them, I think the meeting runs Sunday through Thursday or Wednesday. I'm not sure. Friday? Okay, Sunday through Friday. And so I want to encourage you to, if you have the opportunity to go and to support that meeting, I know that they would appreciate it. And uh, we're certainly glad that, that they are a sister congregation. We're going to be looking in just a moment at a lesson tonight, the ABCs of leadership. And I want us to think in a very practical way about some of the characteristics, if you please, of leadership. And this is in no way exhaustive of what it means to be a leader. These characteristics, again, uh, you could go a number of ways. And so I want us to just look from a practical, biblical standpoint of some of the fundamentals of leadership. And so I want to begin by calling attention to what I would call, really from an elementary standpoint, the alphabet. And we're going to use the alphabet as a springboard to talk about the ABCs of leadership. And we're going to begin tonight with the letter A. And as we think about the letter A, there are probably any number of terms that would come to mind that you might choose that would describe a leader. But I want to begin tonight by talking about ability. Because I believe that ability is very important. There are a lot of good people that make up the church. There are a lot of good men. And there are men that have any number of abilities. But just because an individual has certain abilities in various aspects of life does not necessarily mean that he has the ability to be a leader. And so I want us to think about a couple of things here. I want to call attention to the book of Exodus. And I want to use Exodus chapter 18 as a springboard for this particular term as we think about ability. Someone has said in the past that leaders are not born, but rather they are made. I think that there are some people that have some innate abilities that will help them become great leaders. And certainly there are some components that certain individuals possess that enable them to function at a very high capacity or high level in the realm of leadership. But then there are others that aspire to be leaders. And so they begin developing certain traits and characteristics that will enable them to function in that realm. They become apt in the realm of leadership. In Exodus chapter 18, we have an account God's people, as you well know, they had been in the land of Egypt. And God had called them out of Egyptian bondage. And last week we talked about Moses and the fact that Moses was a reluctant leader. And yet God recognized that in Moses there were certain abilities that would enable him to fulfill this task. And so Moses became the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. 
So now we have Moses and the children of Israel. They are out of Egyptian bondage. And God is about to enter into a covenant relationship with them. And so in chapter 18, some sage advice is given to him by Jethro. Moses is spending a lot of time dealing with the various problems that result when you have some one to two million people you're trying to lead. And so, notice if you would in verse 13. The Bible says that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. And you think about how that would weary anyone. So, the Bible says that Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people. And he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And so you can see that there was a need for someone to function in this capacity. And so, in light of that, the Bible says that Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who, gave, who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Now, note if you would verse 21. In verse 21, he begins outlining the characteristics of someone who would function in this capacity. And he said, I want you to select from all the people, listen to him, able men. In other words... You need to identify men with ability. There are some synonyms that are oftentimes used in the realm of ability. Words like aptitude, competency. I think about skill, power, capability, strength. The Cambridge University Press defines ability as physical or mental power or skill needed to do something. So again, we're talking about somebody who has an aptitude to lead. And what Moses' father-in-law is saying to him is this. You need to identify certain people that have the ability to function in this realm. So whenever we talk about leadership and leadership obviously is a need in the church because God set forth the organizational structure of the local church. We talk about elders, deacons, preachers, members. It takes a lot of people. And many of us function in leadership roles. If you teach, you're a leader, are you not? If you preach, you're a leader. If you're an elder, a deacon, whatever, the, whatever that particular task that you're involved in, you're functioning as a leader. And then there's the need for leadership in the home, Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to begin by, first of all, emphasizing the importance of ability. Now, as I said a moment ago, I don't believe that leadership, I don't think that people are born 
as leaders per se, but I do believe that people can develop certain traits that will enable them to rise up and meet the challenges of leadership. Now there's a second letter that I want us to look at tonight. First we think about A for ability. Secondly, let's talk about B for bravery. To function as a leader entails someone who is willing to demonstrate, as we would say, courage. You have to be brave. And there's some reasons why that's necessary. Because anyone who is in a leadership position understands that there are natural pressures that come with the job. Sometimes we use the phrase, if you can't stand, can't stand the heat, then get out of the kitchen. Well, there's a lot to be said for being brave and courageous. In the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul outlines the characteristics that are incumbent on those who would function as leaders in the Lord's church. And one of the great responsibilities of those who serve as leaders is that they have to be men of courage. They have to be brave. I want to call your attention to Titus chapter 1. I want you to look at this text with me for a moment. Let me just point out a couple of things in relationship to bravery or courage. In Titus chapter 1, Paul here is addressing the qualifications of those who would serve as elders in the church. And for the sake of our study tonight, I want to accentuate beginning in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul said, speaking of someone who would function as an elder, a leader in the Lord's church, he said, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be, that he may be, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. In other words, here's somebody that has been taught the Word of God. They have been taught and they are knowledgeable in what God's Word has to say. And as a result of that, they have the ability to encourage and they can stand toe-to-toe with someone who would say or do something contradictory to Scripture. So in verse 10, Paul said, For there are many insubordinate or unruly, and then he goes on to say, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Now listen to him in verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain or for filthy lucre's sake. He said, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony, he said, is true. Therefore, now listen to him. Rebuke them sharply. Well, why, Paul? That they may be sound in the faith. Here's what I want you to see. It takes a lot of courage to stand up when the pressure's on, when the heat's on. Those who serve as leaders in the Lord's church have to be able, to some extent, to be confrontational. Now, I'm not saying that as a leader in the church, I'm not saying that preachers and elders and deacons, that we're out looking for a fight, per se. 
But I think what Paul is saying here is this. We need to be able to take what we have learned in the Word of God. When people need to be encouraged, we encourage them. When there are things that are being taught, maybe quite possibly being practiced, that are foreign to New Testament Scripture, then we need to have the courage to stand up and say, you know what, this won't work. Now, not everybody likes confrontation. And I understand that. Look, I do not like confrontation. But I understand sometimes it's necessary. And there are times when we have to be, that we have to be able and willing to stand face-to-face, toe-to-toe with people and say, Look, this is what the Bible says. This is what God in His Word has said. There are times when people need to be corrected. There are times when, quite frankly, there are people who have major problems in their lives, spiritually speaking. Leaders have to be able to sit down with them and look at the Word of God and say, Look, you're headed on a destructive path. You're running down a road that's going to lead to eternal separation from Almighty God. Not everybody has the willingness, the ability, the courage to do that. And so if a man does not possess that ability or that inclination, you don't possess it. You don't need the office. It's not always easy being a leader. And there's probably far more criticism than compliments. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at what Paul is saying in Titus chapter 1, Paul is saying it takes a courageous, brave individual to serve as a leader in the Lord's church. And there are a lot of problems in there. Well, let me just back up and rephrase that. There have been a lot of problems in congregations in days gone by that could have been corrected if they had men in leadership positions that were brave and courageous. Somebody that would be willing to stand up and say, look, that's not going to happen here. We're not going to compromise Scripture. We're not going in that direction. And then there are people, quite frankly, whose lives have become a spiritual mess and leaders have overlooked the spiritual disarray in their lives and they have long since left the church and quite possibly never return, will never return to service in the kingdom of God. And that's on the hands of those who lead. And that's unfortunate because those who serve as elders will give an account of the souls that they oversee. There's a third letter I want you to see. First, we think about A for ability, B for bravery, C for conviction. Look again at Titus chapter 1. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict the gainsayer or the one who contradicts. To have some conviction. There's a real need in the church for every member to be a person of conviction, isn't, isn't there? Think about in the early church. You remember back in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John were called on the carpet, they stood before the Sanhedrin council 
They had healed a man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the Sanhedrin council wanted to know by what power, by what name have you done this? Well, they let them know that they had done it in the name of Christ. And the Bible tells us in verse 12, But they announced, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you think about, here's the Jewish hierarchy. And they're saying, look, Jesus is now the one who is the Savior of all people. He is the means by which people will be saved. And so the Sanhedrin council could not deny that these men had been in the presence of the Lord. They understood these men had spent time with Jesus. They were untrained, unlearned men. So after conferring among themselves, here's what they said. We're going to command them not to teach nor preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And you know what they said? That's fine. But you're not going to muzzle our mouths. You're not going to shut us down from preaching and teaching the gospel. And so in verse 20 of Acts chapter 4, they said, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Now that's conviction. And I'm convinced that the church today needs people who are convicted. We're convicted that what the Bible has to say is true. A moment ago we sang a song that really is based upon 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. When Paul said, I know whom I believe, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's conviction. To think about, we must be people of conviction. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe that he bought the church with his own blood. We believe that he built the church. We believe that we belong to him because we are the people of God. We believe that the gospel has the power to save from sin and unrighteousness. And so to be people of conviction. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In order for us to develop conviction, we've got to spend time in the Word, don't we? Remember what Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You can't know you can't know the Word of God if you never spend time in the Word of God. And so, we need people of ability. We need people that are brave. We need individuals of conviction. And then there is another letter that I want to call attention to. Let me just ask you to turn back to Exodus chapter 18 again for just a moment. The letter D stands for delegate. Good leaders know how to delegate. Now, if you look at Exodus chapter 18, one of the problems with Moses was that he was trying to do everything himself. And you just can't do everything by yourself. You look at major corporations around our country. For example, FedEx. I'm not sure how many thousands of people FedEx employs around the world. But you've got thousands and thousands of people that work at FedEx. And you've got the man that started FedEx, Fred Smith, who is the CEO of the company. Now, I can assure you Fred Smith knows the large picture at FedEx. I'm sure he understands the mechanics, the nuts and bolts of the operation. 
And I have no doubt that he's looking at the various aspects of that particular corporation. But you'll never see Fred Smith on the runway filling a jet with fuel. You won't even see him flying a jet of cargo across the country. Why? Because that's not his job. He has more important, as we would say, fish to fry. And so sometimes, if we're not careful, we get caught up in trying to do everything on our own. Well, it takes, it takes a collective effort. So in Exodus chapter 18, you remember again what Jethro said to Moses. Listen to him again in verse 19. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, he said, you shall select, select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every matter, every great matter, they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden, listen to him, with you. Not for you, but with you. Now, look at the church. God designated the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, as a local autonomous entity, didn't he? Over the local church, you have elders, men that meet the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. And then you have working under them selected men that meet the criteria set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And they serve as special servants, they're deacons. And their task is material and physical, but also spiritual. The realm of work that elders operate in is spiritual in nature. And so, in order for elders to fulfill their leadership role, in order for them to oversee the spiritual needs of a congregation, they have to have help, don't they? What happens sometimes is individuals try to do it all themselves. Can't do that. So, let me call attention to Acts for just a moment. Look at the book of Acts. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 6 for a moment because there's a principle here I think that's very valid. In Acts chapter 6, you remember the Grecian widows were being neglected. And so, in verse 2, the Bible says, the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples. And here's what they said. It's not desirable, it's not meat, that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. In other words, we've got much greater responsibilities. Now, not minimizing this task because this is a work that needed to be done, but all, all they were saying is, look, we have another role that we have to fulfill. And so they were to seek out seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom, whom he said we may appoint over this business. Now look at verse 4. But we, that is the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now what do you think the apostles were doing here? Well, they recognized there's a need. They don't have the time to fulfill that need. Now could they have tried to juggle both responsibilities? Probably. 
But would it have been the responsible thing to do? No. So here's what they did. They said, we need to find some men that are capable, that men of ability, spiritually minded men that can fulfill this role so that we can focus on the task at hand. That is, so that we can give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So look at the wisdom of God. God's saying to the apostles, look, you have a very special role. These men would be special servants. They would fulfill a need in the church. Now you think about leaders today in the church and the vast responsibilities that rest upon them and the magnitude of the work. They can't do everything by themselves. And so that's where we come in, is it not? You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked about the church as the body of Christ. And he said, there's one body but many members. As members of the body of Christ, we have varying talents or abilities. We come from varying backgrounds. We are different in terms of our education, etc. And so what we do is pool all these resources together, these abilities, and then we function as a unit, as a body. Just like the physical body. Many members, but one body. The Church of Christ, many members, one body. And so every member working in unison, why? To achieve the overall goal of Almighty God, and that is to seek and save the lost, to do the work of the church. But it takes every member. And so Moses was advised by his father-in-law, here's what you need to do. You need to delegate some of this responsibility. Now look, once Moses delegated that responsibility to these men, he didn't have time to look around the corner every so often and see whether or not they were taking care of the job. He had to trust that those individuals would do the work. So you think about the work of leaders today. They have the responsibility of meeting the spiritual needs of the congregation, overseeing the flock. They're going to give an account of the souls that they oversee. They're going to stand before God one day and give an account of every single soul in a congregation. So there are a lot of petty things they don't have time to deal with. They don't have time. Why? Because they have a more important role. And so, learning to delegate. And you look at, again, think about some of the great leaders of days gone by. Think about how they had the ability to delegate. Let me give you an example. In football. You have a head coach, and then you have assistant coaches. And each assistant coach has a specialized area of work. In other words, they're focused maybe on the line. Here's another coach, he's focused on the tight ends. Here's another coach, he's focusing on the defensive line. Here's another coach, he is accentuating the work of cornerbacks. Well, the head coach is overseeing all of this, but he's delegated that responsibility to assistant coaches. Well, they all have the same goal. They're all working together in unison. The head coach can't do all of that, so he has to have people that will help him. And so those of us who belong to the body of Christ, one of the great things that we have is the opportunity to render our services to the eldership, to say, look, just like Isaiah, here am I, send me, use me, help, 
They need help, we're ready to help. Let me give you another letter very quickly before we close tonight. The letter E for encouragement. Elders have to be able to encourage, don't they? Do you remember again in Titus chapter 1 what Paul said? He talked about elders holding fast the faithful word as they have been taught, that they might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort, encourage, and convict. Are there not people in the body of Christ that need encouragement? Yes. We have a lot of folks in this congregation that are physically sick, and they need encouraging. Now, in James chapter 5, James talks about elders who have the responsibility of ministering to the physically sick. Those who are sick can call for the elders of the church, and they can pray for them. But they also have another task, and that is to encourage those who are spiritually sick. There are members in the church, various congregations all around this country. There are members who are weak, they're struggling. Maybe they've gotten caught up in sin. So elders have the opportunity to sit down with them one-on-one, to go to them and to plead with them, to encourage them to do what's right. Remember in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul said, that those who have been overtaken in a fault, that we have the responsibility of restoring them in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, to reach out to those who are struggling and who are burdened by sin. Sometimes just a word of encouragement. I can give you, a, I can give you an example of what I'm talking about. A friend of mine many years ago been out of the church for a long, long time said his father called him one Sunday morning and said, come to church with us today. You know what? He decided to go. And because he made the decision to go and because his father took the time to pick up the, tele- the telephone and call him, he was restored that day. You know what he is today? He's a preacher. So you never know what a word of encouragement will do. So elders have the task of encouraging I want to close there tonight, and the Lord willing, next week pick up with faithfulness. I appreciate so much the opportunity to share with you tonight some principles related to leadership, some of the ABCs, some of the nuts and bolts. By no means is this exhaustive, but it's just fruit for thought. I would encourage you to study what the Bible has to say about leadership. And we need people that are willing to be leaders in this congregation. We need individuals who are willing to step up and to meet the responsibilities that are set forth in Scripture. So tonight, if you're here and this lesson wasn't necessarily designed to teach a person what to do to become a Christian, but in concluding, we want to tell someone who might be here tonight what to do to be saved. The Bible says that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Then we must be willing to repent, that is, turn from sin, Acts 2, 38. Confess the name of Christ before others, Matthew 10, 32. 
and then be baptized so that all our sins can be washed away, Acts 2.38. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. And if you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Possibly you're here tonight, you're not faithful to the cause. For whatever reason, maybe you're not living as you should and you need the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Understanding that God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1.9. Won't you come as we stand and sing?